Adrian Vernon Fish has a grand piano under his bed. When he's lying in the bed, he looks up at a big map of Greenland stuck to the ceiling. Music and Greenland, the twin obsessions of Adrian Vernon Fish. And he has paid some price for them. Drumslide National School, one of the tiniest schools in Ireland. The yard looks west to Ackill, behind and to the south is Westport, and the other way is Ballina. Their neighbour Adrian's jeep pulls up. Back seats are down. Inside, he has a suitcase on wheels display panels, lots of ordinary-sized boxes. What's in this? Oh, carvings, sculptures, furs, you name it. And two big, long flight cases with aluminium edges. We've got a dead body in there, Miss Let's have the chairs out for the kids. It takes them an hour to get everything ready. Uh, is there anyone I can change? I've got my ha- outfit to get into. Yeah, this is the teacher's toilet up there. Just at the top of the hallway. Oh, just right at As the children file into the room where Adrian is, they're facing a display that stretches about 13 feet. At the back are the display panels. Over the tops of the panels are draped various animal furs. On the panels themselves are a map of Greenland, a poster of different whale types found in the waters around Greenland, photos of people living and hunting in Greenland. On the tables in front of the display panels are carvings of polar creatures, a model of a dog sled, a model of a canoe, models of harpoons and other implements, and books of photos of Greenland. On the floor in front of the tables are other pieces, like two picture frames, one containing an Eskimo drum and the other with a large circular doily made out of small glass beads. One other item on the floor is what looks like a model sailboat, but is actually a hide used by hunters in Greenland. There's a picture of this and the whole display on the Flux page on rte.ie. Adrian himself comes in. He's part of the display too. He's wearing a fur hat with earmuffs, a white cotton windsheeter, fur trousers and fur boots. Now, I'm here to talk about Greenland, and it's a country that most people forget. You've probably all heard of Greenland, but can anybody tell me where it is in the world? The lecture is an hour long. It starts off earnest enough. It's the world's biggest island. Lots of facts and figures. It's the northernmost land in the world. Good educational stuff. On a good summer's day, a really good summer's day, the temperature will be zero. That is a hot day. But then Adrian gives them what they want. Horror. Bodily functions, money, more bodily functions, disgust and laughs. Not necessarily in that order. And his skin will be enormous. First the horror. Absolutely enormous. He tells them a story of going out one day with a friend in Greenland who encourages them to climb up on an iceberg with him. I'd never climbed an iceberg before and it's not very easy. And I eventually got to the top, I fell down two or three times. 
eventually got to the top and we sat down on the top of this iceberg and we talked about all sorts of things. We talked about sport, about music, about politics, about all sorts of useless things. When they're on top of the iceberg, they spot a polar bear. From behind a nearby lump of ice, this head sort of emerged. It was like a head peeping round a door. And this bear looked round, you know, hello. And I tell you, I'm sure I'm not exaggerating, his paws, they were as big, if not bigger, than that clock on the wall there. The friend, a local Greenland hunter, decides to kill the polar bear because he says he needs new trousers. Only the bravest hunters in Greenland wear polar bear trousers, explains Adrian. So the hunter sets his pack of snow dogs on the polar bear. And there was a scuffle, a real scuffle. We never caught the bear, but the bear killed one of the dogs. Just took that paw, say the size of a dinner plate, and he just whacked this dog. Knocked him maybe, I don't know, 10 metres, 15 metres. Just wham, this 60 kilo dog went wham, you know, landed with a broken back over there somewhere. And it's that one there. And then Adrian reaches over and takes a fur from on top of one of the display panels. That's dog fur. It was a fairly old dog. There's not a lot of fur left on his neck. But uh, he was killed by one blow from a polar bear. They are probably the most dangerous animal with the possible exception of the hippopotamus. Adrian explains that the 50,000 people in Greenland are descended from tribes who originated in Mongolia. He's tried to learn the language. We say, I intend to go to the big school. Now, that's eight words. But you can put all that together as one word in Greenlandic. That's one word. And I'd been practising some of my Greenlandic words, and I saw a very small, very elderly lady walking up the road, and I said, oh, it's a, it's a little lady. And the guy I was with sort of shook his head and laughed and said, pardon? I said, Arnangwapok. And I pointed to her. Uh, no, not Arnangwapok. You mean Arnangwapok. You said, she is a little shit. <laughs> it's very easy to make mistakes in another language. Fortunately, he thought it was very funny. Adrian's lecture is punctuated with him picking things up from the table behind him. At one point, he picks up a very small carving of a polar bear shaped from a piece of narwhal tusk. It's only about three inches long. And narwhal tusk is, is a lovely, pure, creamy white colour. The kids are mildly interested and until he gets to the antiques roadshow bit, the money. You would probably pay upwards of 300 euro for that. Yeah. Because there's a lot of carving gone into that. It's very hard to carve. Another thing Adrian picks up from the table is a stick with fur at one end and a small piece of tusk at the other end. The piece of tusk is tied so that it sticks out at right angles to the wooden shaft of the implement. A piece of polar bear fur on one end and on the other end there's a kind of a little blade. Now what do you think that is? Who would, who would like to guess? A brush, you say? Yeah. No, it's not a brush. It could be, though. Yeah? Scratching your back. It's a back scratcher. Now, that's good. OK, you can scratch your back with the little bit of narwhal tusk at one end, but why would you have a piece of polar bear fur at the other end? To wash itself. You're not far from the truth, actually. That's closer than you think. Now, when you're living in your furs day and night, because it's too cold to get undressed at night, there's nothing lice-like more than somewhere warm and sweaty. So if you're, if you're dressed in your reindeer fur anorak or your seal fur anorak or your polar bear trousers... You can, do, you can have a lot of lice living down your back. So what you do, you put the little blade down the back and you scratch your back, you loosen all those nasty lice 
and then you put the other bit down your back, and the lice think, ooh, polar bear fur, that's even nicer than human sweat. And they all jump to the polar bear fur, so you can take it out and you can wash it out in a piece of melted seawater, clean it up, and use it again tomorrow. The class finishes with Adrian asking for a participant from the audience. A little girl gets up and stands in front of him. Now, I haven't got, an, I haven't got another drum I can play. So He's showing them how, in a land miles from police or courts, an argument can be solved with song. You've accused me of stealing fish from your rack, and I say, no, I haven't. So you have to stare at me. The idea is that whoever laughs or smiles first loses the argument. We stick our bums out, that is. And I am now going to sing a Greenland drum song, and you have to stare at me without laughing. All right? Are you ready? already started to laugh, so you have lost the argument, and I have won. <laughs> now imagine Gertie up in the door there, singing for the opposition. A few miles from Drumslide School, and the Wellies Leak as well. Adrian's chair sits looking out to sea. It's a spare chair that I had nowhere in the house for it. It was an old one, and I came, I bought it down there, and just sat on the shore one evening. And it's been there for a year now. It's like a piece of art. It's a, it's a chair in the bog, yes. sitting looking out on the water. I have a photograph of that chair at a particularly high spring tide. And the chair was sitting on its own little tiny island about three or four metres long. The chair is at the edge of his 29 acres. I can come and sit down there whenever I like. You know you're providing free entertainment to the neighbours, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> on the horizon around Adrian are the mountains of Mayo. On one side, a tidal bay, and everywhere else, bog. The Eris Tundra, the journalist Michael Viney calls it. Adrian likes that. It's a link to Greenland. It does give me a little fix, if you like, of Greenland, just to walk out here across the land. It's lovely. I love it dearly. What's the attraction of Greenland for you? Isolation, I suppose. And I don't mean that in any negative sense whatsoever. But it's very good for someone, for all of us, to be made to feel small. And Greenland does that because it is such an immense place. And when you're standing in this landscape and you look at somebody else, the other person, if you like, standing in the landscape who's maybe three or four hundred yards away, and they are literally just a speck. And there's probably no one to their east for 2,000 miles. You suddenly get a feeling of one's own insignificance, mortality... And I think that's good for people, because we can all get too big for our boots. And suddenly to find yourself the least important thing in the world, almost. It keeps your feet firmly on the ground, or on the ice. And I like that feeling. Um, And I like to be reminded of the fact that I'm not important. Was there a time that you were quite self-important? particularly when I left college. You know, you do all this training through childhood, learning the piano and all the rest of it, and then three years at the Royal College of Music and you come out thinking you're God's gift to music. I think every every music student comes out thinking they're great. Across the bog runs a track, and it's not even a boring. At the end of the track, a three-roomed labourer's cottage. It must be well over 100 years old. It's still known as the old horror place. Because when I say to people, I live in Ockness. Whereabouts? I say it used to belong to the German couple. Oh, the old horror house. 
So, yes, the greatest little horror house in Ockness, this one. <laughs> There's a screen door for the midges in the summer. Inside the cottage, there are laminated card signs over some of the doorways. They have musical notation on them. Some houses have signs that say bathroom or bedroom or kitchen or whatever. And I thought, well, I could tell people what those rooms were with musical quotations. So, yes, above the, the entrance to the kitchen, I have um, a piece from Vaughan Williams' incidental music to Aristophanes' play The Wasps, and it's the march of the kitchen utensils. You know, you've got to read music to get the joke. The bedroom one has... Uh, Dreaming, a piano piece by Schumann, and the bathroom. I was, I thought, well, yeah, I could use the water music. It's the most obvious one, but I was listening to a performance of Asis and Galatea, the little opera of Handel, one of Handel's little operas, and both Asis and Galatea are very happy, and they sing an aria called Happy We, and I thought, oh yeah, that's it. So I have the um, the instrumental introduction to Happy We on my on my bathroom door. Oh yeah, nuts, nuts. There are two main smells in the kitchen. Turf from the fire and air freshener. There's an automatic electric air freshener squirting out scent over the neat and cosy interior. The living room beside the kitchen is also the main bedroom. To the right as you go in is a grand piano of brown wood. A boudoir piano from 1910. Smaller than a concert grand, bigger than a baby grand. I made an arrangement of six Carillon melodies for the piano two years ago for the Greenland tour. And this is number four from the six, young Terence McDonough. I'd love to know who he was, a sad character, I think. Above the piano, at about six and a half feet, is Adrian's bed, supported on one corner by the trunk of a silver birch. You're listening to Flux, a programme of stories with Ronan Kelly. This programme features Adrian Vernon Fish, an English composer who lives in Mayo and who shares his obsession with Greenland with Irish schoolchildren. Adrian's interest in music and Greenland both started when he was in school. I, I wrote my first piece, I think, when I was six. It was the hymn tune for my grandpa to sing in church one Sunday. He was a Methodist and it was a typical Methodist-type tune. His boarding school, however, wasn't too keen on music. When I wanted to do music for the A-level... The headmaster said, my dear boy, he said, this is not a girl's school. You know, and that, that was that. I mean, what a thing to say to a 16-year-old, you know. So I made arrangements to go to another school to attend the music classes for A-level. And I got an A. And then the headmaster had the, the gall. He made a speech to the school about what a credit I was to the school and how well, how great it was and, you know... And he'd done everything, everything in his power to stop me. Adrian didn't need the school's permission to pursue his interest in Greenland, which began with a book about Antarctica. It was about a, 
a journey by Snowcat to this scientific base in the middle of nowhere, in the, the furthest point, I think, from the coast in Antarctica. But I, I just read and read about Antarctica, and gradually, in reading about the polar regions, my brain latched onto Greenland as a particularly interesting place. Because here was a northern version of Antarctica, but people actually lived there. And back in the 1970s, I went to the wedding of my then wife's cousin. And I was bored rigid. And at the reception, everybody knew everybody. I knew nobody. And I was just gazing around the room and standing in the opposite corner was another guy standing over there looking equally wallflowerish and looking bored out of his mind. And in the words of John Donne, our eye beams met upon one double string. And I went across to talk to him. And, I don't know, we were chatting away about how bored we were, probably. I can't remember. But somehow the subject came round to Greenland. I don't know how. Some engineering on my part, probably. And he suddenly said, we're just publishing a book about Greenland. And I said, what do you mean, we? He said, well, I work for a publisher. We're publishing an Eskimo diary from the 1960s by a man called Tuma Fredriksson. And that book inspired my third and my fourth symphonies and uh, a couple of piano pieces and one or two other bits and pieces, I think. Just outside the cottage, there's a sign saying the arse end of nowhere, Adrian's father's sentiments, not his own. Beside that sign is a small circular wooden conservatory and in the window of that, there's a certificate from the Winston Churchill Memorial Foundation. They sponsored one of his trips to Greenland. I discovered that no one had ever been to give a concert tour in Greenland because of the sheer logistics of a place like that. And besides which, I think there were three organs and two pianos in the whole country or something at the time. And I thought, well, I can be the first to do that. I was invited to the island of Kitsisoasuit, and the population of Kitsisoasuit at the time was 105, and 104 people came to the concert. The one man who wasn't at the concert was at the highest point of the island, and the island's only a quarter of a mile long and half a mile wide. He was on the top of the island with his binoculars looking for next month's food. And I was in the middle of a bookstore who the Prelude and Fugue in the little church on the little electronic organ in there, merrily playing away. And he, this guy who'd been on whale watch, burst in the door of the church and um, shouted, "Ah, fuck!" Now I didn't know that that was the Greenlandic for whale at that point. It was one of my earlier visits. Um, I just heard this, what I thought was a very loud curse, and I thought, "Does he know the books of the Huda Prelude and Fugue? Am I playing it wrongly?" <laughs> Um, but they, I couldn't see what was going on. My back was to the audience, you see. So I heard all this clattering and banging and people running around and falling over each other and a lot of laughter going on. And I didn't know what was going on. I was just trying to continue playing this fugue. And my page turner, who was the Danish teacher in the school, said, don't worry, he said, they have seen a whale. And basically all the men had got up and had gone. So I finished the concert for all the women and children. Took a walk down to the beach in Kitsisuasuit. And already cut up into piles of meat, little pyramids of meat on the, on, the, on the ice, were the carcasses of five beluga whales, already stripped clean of the meat, ready in piles to be distributed around the houses in the settlement. They'd gone out, grabbed their harpoons, gone down to the beach, gone out in their boats, harpooned five belugas and brought them in within the space of 40 minutes. It can cost thousands of euro to get to and from Greenland, and Adrian wasn't a rich man. He worked in an art centre in the southwest of England and occasionally made some money from composing. His Irish wife taught piano and violin. She didn't share his obsession with Greenland. Adrian has tried to visit Greenland every year. 
whenever I'm in Nuuk, which is nearly every year now, I've got dinner parties coming out of my ears, you know. Uh, I, I have to be everywhere. Will you come to us tomorrow? Then you can go to so-and-so on Saturday. You can come to so-and-so on Sunday. And I have so... They're like family now. Adrian went to Greenland in January 2001. He remembers the trip as one of the last good things to happen to him for a long time. On the 3rd of August, my wife walked out on me. I knew she was going because she told me about two or three months earlier. What happened with the marriage? It's difficult to say how it started, but basically I didn't earn enough money. I put almost nothing into the family coffers. Now, my wife was putting most of the money into the family coffers in her job, and she basically she'd had enough of me not pulling my weight, you could say. And that was the reason for the breakup, unfortunately. It's a, it strikes me as being a rather small reason, but I can understand it. But I can't give up composing, unfortunately. It's something I have to do. Composing is like breathing. If you try and stop, it's mighty uncomfortable. Would she say this interest in Greenland and music and all that is that you're just floating around and you were messing for years and years and years? Um, Floating around, perhaps not, but Greenland was a large part of the problem because any spare money there was was promoting the Greenland project to start with. So, uh, yeah, I do blame myself in part for persisting with something that was an obsession for me, yes. Three weeks after she left... The aneurysm that I had in my brain at that time, but didn't know that that was what it was, burst. I had arrived back from the arts centre where I was working as duty manager and composer in residence. I was running running a bath, and the next thing I know, I was in hospital. But what had happened, my father was living in the little granny flat on the attached to the house. Now, he is fairly hard of hearing. I was in the bathroom, running the bath, and I fell against the door at the other side of the bathroom, because we had two doors in the bathroom. And one door was the connection to the, the granny flat. And I fell against that door as he was walking past it the other side, which was providential. He came through, found me collapsed on the floor, uh, rang the ambulance, and the ambulance point where they stand, where they park and just wait for the calls, was about 15 to 20 miles away. When he rang the ambulance, they happened to be on their way back from the hospital in Plymouth to the parking point, and they were within a few yards of the house when they got the call, which was astonishing. Again, Providence stepping in. And they got me to the hospital, and I was told had they been five minutes later, I, you know, that would have been the end of me. Then Adrian met a man who was going to move from Britain to Kilkenny to set up a business training people in public speaking. Adrian agreed to move with him, but at the last minute the other man pulled out and Adrian moved to Kilkenny on his own. That lasted several months and then he decided to move on again. This time to Eris in North Mayo. He found the cottage in Ochness where he installed his piano, his music and his Greenland collection. He also brought his golden Labrador, Ishka. Since arriving at the cottage, the dog has died. The cottage was hit by lightning, which burst the cylinder and flooded it. 
He has a persistent cough for four years from the blood pressure medicine he's had to take after his aneurysm, and he has a wound on his arm that won't heal after the Mayo midges got to it, and the composing hasn't been going too well either. This last three years have been difficult. The muse went on a sabbatical quite some time ago and hasn't come back yet. Adrian has picked up occasional part-time jobs and he does have the odd piano student. There was a week in October 2002 when I didn't eat for a week because I couldn't afford to buy any food. My son came to my rescue on that occasion. But that was then. When you've faced the Grim Reaper you've kneed him in the balls and told him that only the good die young, then kind of nothing else can depress you in quite the same way. Schools are booking him to talk about Greenland. He wants to take artists as paying guests in the cottage's spare room. He says his adult son has asked him to write music for his wedding and that his teenage son comes to visit and shares his interest in Greenland and music. They say, and Marla believed, that everybody has four blows of fate in their life. And the fourth blow is death. Now, I had three blows. Divorce, brain haemorrhage and lightning strike all within three years. I'm terrified of the fourth one happening fairly soon, you know. But things are beginning to look a little more settled. Oh, God, I hope so. That's the show. Thank you for listening. If you go to the Flux page on rte.ie, you can see details of Adrian's music, you can see photographs, and you can listen to the programme again. If you like to write, you can write to flux at rte.ie or to myself, Ronan Kelly, RTE Radio 1, Donnybrook, Dublin 4.